The following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This evening's reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. I'll give you a moment to find that in your own Bibles. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, for they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, my name is Brandon. If you don't know me, and I'm on the staff team here at St. Nick's, and I'm also a student at the university, and I'm so glad you're able to join us this evening. Imagine with me a very excited new Christian, or maybe someone who is you know, exploring faith and just trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. Uh, imagine reading these verses with them uh, and they begin to hear about this abundant life and they get all excited and you know they're just stoked and they ask you does this mean that I'll be rich you go, oh no uh no no, no that, that's that's not that's not what that means um I go, okay well will, will I be healthy then oh no that's not quite how it works either Oh, okay, well then I'll have a, you know, a, a fulfilling and amazing job, or maybe I'll just have the, the best marriage ever. Uh, is that what the abundant life is? No, again, not quite at all, even remotely close. Um, and I said, well, at least nothing bad will happen to me, right? And you go, oh, oh. Uh, and after that, you, you know, you, you've explained to them that Jesus said that more than likely they would actually lose friends and that they would be persecuted and perhaps even be killed for following him. They may be very puzzled, and perhaps you are thinking the same thing. But what then is so amazing about following Jesus? What is this abundant life, and is it even worth having? I can also imagine so many you know, different people asking uh, a slightly different but similar question. How is this abundant life better than my financial situation? Or my loneliness? My immigration status, the abuse that I've suffered, racism, 
the sexism, the cruelties and injustice that appear so rampant in our modern world? What is the abundant life to these people? Well, many well-intentioned people have realized that our uh, lived reality doesn't quite match these words in our passage tonight. And so they've, they've actually taken Jesus to be referring to uh, a life that you gain only after death. This abundant life is then actually about heaven or, you know, some future utopia. Uh, unfortunately, this doesn't uh, answer the question about suffering. It doesn't address people where they are at, but instead only tells them not to worry. There's a better life coming. The only important issue is about getting in. And I assume that for many, uh, this answer rings hollow in today's world. And what does uh, this abundant life have to do with a door? I mean, Jesus says, I am the door. And it, it kind of feels like the text is leading us to kind of feel blown away by this statement, right? Jesus is the door. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Or, you know, be, because we're Anglican, you know, it's probably just like a slight nod of agreement, you know, but, but you get the picture. Um, but I don't know about you, but this is not my experience uh, of the verse. Uh, the other I am statements make so much sense. You know, I am the lion of the world. Yes. Got it. Next week, I am the good shepherd. Yep. Amen. I am the bread of life. Okay. Maybe a little strange, but you can conceptually get it. I understand it. I am the door? No, I'm not following you, Jesus. So two things that I want to do tonight. Uh, firstly, I want us to better understand the image of Jesus being the door. Now, I'm setting the bar real low here because this is probably not going to become one of your favorite Bible passage. Or, you know, you're not going to go out and get, you know, Jesus is my door tattoo anytime soon, right? Like that would be a terrible tattoo. Um but my hope is that we would be less confused about what's going on here. Right? Bar is very low. Um, the second thing is I want us to explore what Jesus meant by the abundant life. A huge part of the Christian faith is that Jesus opens up to us a new way of life. Here he calls it the abundant or full life. Uh, but as we know, it can be difficult to articulate just what that means. So our two points, door and life. What is the door and what is the abundant life? Jesus has the door. All right, before we start talking about doors and sheeps, we have to set the scene. Uh, last week, we were with Jesus in the temple as he claimed he was the light of the world. Because of this, uh, the religious leaders of the day challenged him, and rightfully so, for Jesus was claiming not only to be the only true teacher of God, but the ultimate revealer of who God is. So the rest of John chapter 8 is Jesus challenging the religious leaders and ends with Jesus identifying himself with Israel's God. And naturally, they tried to kill him for this blasphemy. But Jesus leaves the temple and he, on his way out, he passes a man who has been blind from birth. This man probably was sitting near the temple begging for alms. Um, his blindness would have excluded him from much of first century social and economic life. But most importantly to faithful Jews, his blindness would have excluded him from worshiping in the temple. Imagine living in Durham your whole life and never being allowed into the cathedral. So Jesus does what anybody would do. I'm obviously kidding. guy. He spits in the dirt and he makes some mud and he kind of scoops it up and just starts slathering it on the guy's eyes. And then he tells him to go away and wash in the pool, uh, wash in a nearby pool. 
And when he does this, his sight is restored. The rest of chapter 9 deals with this very ironic dialogue between the temple leaders and the man who was formerly blind. It's a great story with some real sassy one-liners, which you should definitely read. Uh, But the story ends with the formerly blind man being expelled from the temple and or synagogue uh, for suggesting that Jesus might be from God. At the very end, Jesus finds him and the man confesses his belief in him. Jesus was the Messiah. And in the words of the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, he was coming to give sight to the blind to set captives free and proclaim the year of the Lord's uh, of the Lord's favor. So in this context of insider outsider inclusion exclusion and very importantly who has ultimate authority in this context uh, is where we find our passage this evening. I'm going to be referencing the text quite a bit uh, so it's best to be following along with me. So look at uh, chapter 10. The first five verses form an illustration uh, that is all about sheep and shepherds, doors and bandits. And luckily in verse six, the gospel writer records that no one had any idea what Jesus meant by this. So if you're like me and you, you know, didn't get it the first time, don't worry, we're, we're in good company, okay? But let's just hang, uh, hang here and think through this illustration. Now, uh, first off, this is not an allegory, okay? Uh, This isn't, you know, Pilgrim's Progress or Chronicles of Narnia, okay? There doesn't need to be a one-to-one correlation between every object listed and, uh, you know, and a a real-world counterpart, okay? If we do that, it's going to get very confusing. Uh, There there is, however, uh, plenty of symbolism going on in this passage, and and I'm sure you've probably already picked up on some of it. In a number of places in the Old Testament, um, the sheep and the sheepfold represented the people of God. Okay, that was, you probably got that. Um, The title of shepherd was also used to describe Israel's leaders, uh, from Moses to Joshua to David. Um, There's actually a really clear example in Ezekiel 34, where uh, the unfaithful leaders of Israel are are described as shepherds, uh, and they're described as really bad shepherds uh, who do not look out for their sheep and instead eat lots and lots of shepherd's pie. Okay, and can we just acknowledge how awful a name shepherd's pie is? That is really messed up. Anyways, um, well, because of their failure, these uh, leaders of Israel, because of their failure, the sheep had been scattered uh, in exile. But the Lord would become Israel's shepherd, gathering them to himself once again. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. So as soon as you mention sheep or a shepherd in this context, all of this is floating around in the background. So uh, look with me at verse 1. Here Jesus explains that Only the person who enters through the door is the shepherd. Everyone else is a thief and a robber. Verse 3 all of a sudden introduces a doorkeeper uh, who recognizes the shepherd and opens the door for him. This character drops out of Jesus' explanation uh, in in the following verses. So if we take this as an allegory where you're left trying to figure out uh, who this relates to. Moving along, uh, verse 3, the shepherd calls out to his sheep, each by their name. They recognize his voice and follow him. 
Verse 4 explains the shepherd then goes before them and leads them out. These sheep will follow only their shepherd and not a stranger because, again, it's, it's about the voice. And so hopefully you're starting to kind of piece things together here, okay? Moving into Jesus' uh, explanation, we frustratingly do not get much of an, uh, of an explanation. In fact, there is even more imagery, okay? I'll, I'll just read it for us so it's fresh. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. At first glance, I think many people read this passage as saying something like, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. No one can go to heaven or, you know, enter the kingdom or, you know, whatever you want to call it, except by Jesus Christ. So this passage becomes all about getting in, right? Jesus as the door not only grants us eternal life, but protects us from the evil that wants to get in. And, and it relatively fits in our context, right? This blind man was excluded from the temple, and now Jesus wants to bring him in. Now, while these things, I, I think, are, are true in principle, I don't quite think they fit so well in this passage. They fit really well in other passages, for sure. But here, uh, it doesn't seem that way. So stay, stay with me here. But, but in Jesus' illustration, where is the danger? It's clear that the sheep are God's people, but where is the danger coming from? The thief, right? Yes. Uh, he's going to come and steal and kill and destroy but, but where is the thief? Is the thief outside? Well, no, we, we know he's a thief because he's entered into the sheepfold just in a way that's not through the door, right? He's climbed over the walls, right? He's a thief, not a shepherd. And so much like in Ezekiel 34, the danger is that there are thieves and robbers trying to pass themselves off as shepherds. And in doing so, the sheepfold, the, the, the place of safety and rest, has become an inhospitable place for God's people. For the blind man, even the temple had become an, an inhospitable place for him. Even after he had been healed, he was still excluded from religious life. There's another thing that makes uh, the, you know, it's all about heaven or it's all about getting in, reading, uh, difficult. Uh, what happens when the shepherd arrives? What do the sheep do? Uh, look, look at verse 3, right? They listen, and then they follow the shepherd out of the fold. In verse 9, Jesus explains that through him, the sheep would enter, but they will go in and out to find pasture, right? If this is really about heaven or, or life after death, then what does it mean if sheep go in and out? So if it's not about getting in, then what is Jesus saying? Well, it seems to me that it's actually a matter of a quality of life rather than the location, right? It's a picture of freedom. The sheep kind of sort of wander around safely, always in sight of a caring shepherd, pasturing on both sides of the fence, right? There's little lambs, you know, frolicking about, right? Uh, and there's no fear that shepherd's pie will be on the menu. It's idyllic. I, I, maybe you're picturing a spot around Durham. 
Maybe you can recall Psalm 23, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, they will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He says this statement after healing a blind man. A blind man who went away from Jesus with mud on his eyes And when he washed it off, he could see again. When he was being questioned about who healed him, he didn't even know who it was. Later, when Jesus walked up to him, the guy, of course, doesn't recognize him. He's never seen him. But Jesus starts speaking. And suddenly, this guy knows who he is. And it says that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah and he worshipped him. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. But Jesus makes this statement as a declaration that there is a new way of living. A new kind of life uh, is available to the people of God. And the funny thing about doors is that, there, is that no matter what shape they are in, there are always two sides to them. At every moment, a door can be both an entrance in and an exit out. Like Israel in Egypt, the exodus was a door, right? It was an exit or an escape from oppression but it was also an entrance into a covenantal relationship with God. And Jesus here is offering something similar. No longer would the presence of God be confined to a building. No longer would God's people have to access the life of God by means of a particular location that in Jesus' day was run by corrupted leaders. Jesus claiming to be the door is powerful. For he is saying that it is through him that the people of God are able to to access the life of God. It is through Jesus that we have access to this new life. So what uh, what about this abundant life? What is this life that is on offer in Jesus Christ? I think uh, this is a difficult difficult question to answer for Christians. Um, not because we we don't know the answer. I, I think we we do. It, it's intuitive. I mean. Where else would we go? Who, who else, you know, what else would we do? But because we intuit this answer, uh, it can be difficult to articulate it. And I think that it's even harder to articulate it in a compelling way uh, to those who haven't experienced Jesus. Uh, we probably just sound pretty crazy. Uh, probably just as crazy as Jesus did when he said, I'm the door. But the strangeness of how we talk about our lives in Christ comes from the fact that what is on offer seems too good to be true, right? We're just so excited about it, the words can barely contain the truth. The abundant life of Jesus is simply and mysteriously a life well-lived with God. The abundant life on offer is the person of Jesus. It is a relationship with God. And in the gospel, we get God. We get his loving kindness, his care, his patience, his mercy. We get his compassion, his forgiveness, his grace. In Christ, we are both fully known and fully loved. And he promises never to leave or never abandon us. But instead, he promises to stick around. In the pain and in the suffering and the grief. He is with you. He is with us. And the greatest part of this news is that this relationship can begin here in this life. 
wherever you are, Jesus' invitation to join him in the work of building the kingdom can be accepted in the here and now. This life well lived with God means that we get to follow Jesus wherever he will lead us. And that's going to look a bit different for each of us. Um, the abundant life of Jesus is about following the, the, the abundant life is about following Jesus, not having a particular job or reaching a certain status. It'll look different for everyone. And sometimes following Jesus can be scary as we find ourselves being led into sometimes into situations that we might not have chosen for ourselves. But our faith compels us. These situations on the surface don't appear to be a part of this abundant life. And the temptation is to doubt God's call, to stop trusting in his provision for you, to forget that God was made known to us in the suffering of Jesus Christ. Uh, I watched a film uh, recently by Terrence uh, Malick uh, called A Hidden Life. Uh, and if you've uh, never seen a Terrence Malick film before, it features some of the most beautiful cinematography uh, there's deep theological wrestling in each of them and it's like four hours of just being emotionally stretched to like a breaking point uh, it is uh, not not for a not for a fear of heart uh, for the faint of heart um, but this film uh, a hidden life was it is a, the story of uh, Franz Jägerstätter I probably mispronounced that so I'm just gonna call him Franz because, well, I can't pronounce his name. So, anyways, friends, uh, he was an Austrian farmer from a small village uh, who was a conscientious objector during the Second World War. Uh, his Catholic faith would not let him pledge allegiance to Hitler or fight in an unjust war. And, and he and his family were mocked and despised for these beliefs. Even after the war, they wouldn't acknowledge uh, his sacrifice. Um, and in February of 1943, he was called uh, up to serve in the German army. And so he presented himself to the officials, but he refused to swear allegiance. And for this, he was imprisoned, sentenced, and by August of the same year, he was executed. And throughout this whole ordeal, his priest, his bishop, his chaplain, his lawyer, and, and even the judge tried to convince Franz to give up these beliefs before it was too late. He was offered again and again his freedom, if only he would recant and swear the oath to Hitler. And there's a particular moment in the film that I, I found most powerful. Uh, Franz is uh, in prison and he's being questioned, uh, and his uh, questioner asks him, what good do you imagine your defiance is doing anyone? Do you expect to change the course of things? Do you think the authorities are aware of you? That your protest will come to their attention, that anyone will know of it, ever hear of you? Do you think it will influence some decision? No one knows what goes on here, behind these walls. What purpose does it serve? And he continues saying, the questioner continues saying, do you think it matters to God? Do you think you matter to God? Franz Jägerstatter had a hidden life, but it was also an abundant life. 
because he was following Jesus Christ. He was not afraid to follow Jesus, even when it seemed that the whole world was against him. His small act of faith and obedience mattered immensely to God. You and I will likely never have to make a decision like Franz did between obeying Jesus or facing certain death. You know, many of our brothers and sisters uh, in other parts of the world face moments and choices like this on a daily basis. But for us in Durham, or, or wherever you're watching from, we are faced with uh, a similar choice. Will you walk through that door and follow Jesus with your whole life? Will you follow Jesus in the major and the minor, in the big and the small? Will you follow him in the things that seem eminently important and the things that no one is likely to see? It's these small acts of obedience, as much as the large ones, that characterize the life of faith, as well as what it means to have an abundant life. Having a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus will affect every aspect of your life. And in the small things, when no one is watching, and it seems void of all purpose, God is there. He's not watching and waiting for you to mess up, no. He, he sees you, loves you, and he's proud of you. And it's in these tiny acts of trust and remaining steadfast to what God has called you to, where we will begin to see the Lord at work in us and in the world around us. Let me close uh, in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray in your mighty name and all-consuming love that you would grant us abundant life, that you would give us ample opportunities to follow Jesus. Give us your strength to obey you and grant us assurance of your love even when we fail. Teach us to follow you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.